In this episode, we're going to discuss chapter two of The Mandalorian. It did add quite a bit to some interesting points of the Star Wars lore, especially around agile culture. The bit that got me was when he was like throwing Jawas off the top of the sand crawler. <laughs> Cut to like a shot of just like Grogu. Yeah, the time of his life is actually tearing it down. Welcome to episode 24 of Life from Vader's Castle. Um, one of your hosts, John Lee, and I'm joined as always by the other host, Dan McQuarrie. How are you, Dan? Hello. Good day. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. A busy week, but we move. We move. Yeah, Maybe busy week. Some more Star Wars content. Oh, as always. As always, a, a, the highlight of my week is talking Star Wars on this podcast. <laughs> How has your week been there, Dan? Oh, yeah, it's been good. Busy week, busy work week, but then also got a got a nice, nice little cheeky midweek day off. Went up a mountain with a friend of the show, Jack Fuller. Um, I say friend of the show because he's asked us a couple questions to answer on the show. (laughs) (laughs) And he's one of our mates. Um, So, yeah, good week. I've been there, read some Star Wars comics this week, finished a a Star Wars book this week. I built a, a, le- a little mini Lego minifigure that came in that magazine that I got. So, you know, it's been a, been a, f- a fun week, both with and without Star Wars. Oh, nice. Nice. I forgot about your little Lego magazine. Um... Yeah, it was, um, you got the little 80 Walker from the Mandalorian episode with, um, well, with the walker in it and the sanctuary planet that Din and Grogu goes to. So it's like a mini version of that walker. And it was quite a fun little build, to be honest. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so I've got those little minifigures you get in those Lego magazines. They're actually like quite decent. Yeah. I've yeah. So I'm um, in the past. Yeah. So I'm, I've, I've bought the next five issues sort of like on a rolling subscription. Well, not on a rolling subscription. I've like sub to five months. And then I'll decide after that if I'm going to buy more. Just because why not, eh? Something fun. Yeah, I mean, that, um, I think those magazines have fun little word searches and Lego posters, you know. Yeah, to be, honest, everyone. to be honest, I actually haven't even opened the magazine. I just <laughs> <laughs> ripped the, well, I opened it to look at the instructions of how to build it. But apart from that, I haven't actually read the cartoon yet, which I'll do at no, some point. Yeah, that's what I always do. Just like rip the, the, the minifig out of the packet and then just throw the magazine in the bin. Get the toy and <laughs> I've I've kept the magazine I'm uh, going to get myself eventually I'm going to get myself a magazine basket like a good old fashioned magazine basket because I collect Insider um, and and now I'm collecting these Lego Star Wars magazines so I'm going to need a magazine holder at some point to keep them all in (laughs) yeah that's a good idea to be fair I have a nice little display before we jump on to our main topic for today's episode I just literally 30 minutes ago saw a very interesting part of uh, a, a very interesting bit of Star Wars news broke. Did you see this, John? I sort of sent it over to the boys, but I don't know if you picked up on it yet. Um, nothing's jumping to mind, so probably not. Drop on um, so Sung Kang, who is an actor known for playing Han in Fast and Furious, not Han Solo, Han from Fast and Furious. He did an interview recently 
when he was talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the show that he has been officially cast in. Um, so we knew he was in it. We didn't know who he was playing. And he was sort of getting interviewed um, by Ash Crossan from... Oh, God, oh, no. Oh, no. My journalistic integrity had failed. Ash Crossan's from Screen Rant. There you go. Um, and sort of asking, you know, what Star Wars means to you and all that sort of thing. And clearly he didn't realise that the Disney sniper had the red dot on his head because he let slip that he was standing next to Darth Vader on set and he himself has his own lightsaber. So everyone's freaking out. I mean, it's literally dropped about like an hour ago or so. Everyone's freaking out saying, well, he's basically just confirmed he's an Inquisitor then if he's been stood next to Darth Vader and he's got a lightsaber of his own. Um, So what do you think of that news, John, that we're going to be seeing a live action Inquisitor probably? Oh, geez. To be fair, I was scrolling through TikTok earlier and I saw something about him, but I didn't watch the video. So I'm assuming that's probably what they were talking about. Um, yeah, I imagine so, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's quite big news. And I can't believe he's let that slip and no one has like, yet to assassinate him from Disney because that is bold. <laughs> yeah, unless unless he's sort of like just hanging around on set when Vader's there and the lightsaber he's got is actually because he's like in like Clone Wars flashbacks maybe as a Jedi. I don't know. Um, that's a good point actually yeah. he could could be doing that but as a, there's a lot of people saying that he's probably going to be playing the fifth brother because he looks a bit like the fifth brother um, from Rebels season 2 was that when the fifth brother was appeared and if memory doesn't jog you it's the the big bulky bloke um, sort of grey skinned um he had like a bit of a weird hat on the top of his head and obviously had the, the helicopter lightsabers that the Inquisitors rocked. So I kind of want to see helicopter lightsabers in live action. <laughs> uh, yeah, see if they carry as well over to live action as they perform in the animation because they really were one of the best things to come out of Rebels. So yeah, no, that gets me excited. Just the idea of seeing Darth Vader and hopefully more than one Inquisitor in this show is going to get me very excited. Um, the Inquisitors were a really good inclusion to the Star Wars canon in my opinion so I think it's going to be very cool to see if this is the case and it's not just some sort of Clone Wars flashback with a, a Jedi um, which it could be but that's what I'm leaning more towards so I'm excited about that are you, are you buzzing yeah. for Obi-Wan Kenobi? Oh god Obviously. yeah can't wait that to come out <laughs> I was just thinking off the top of my head the Inquisitors are introduced quite early on in Vader's timeline, aren't they? I'm trying mm-hmm. to think back to the, the, the Charles Soul comic, which is yeah, set Palps, right after. Yeah, Palps basically Sith, starts then. starts recruiting them like straight after Revenge of the Sith, yeah. Yeah, so it would make sense for them to be in this show, given the mm-hmm. time period it's in. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. So, And it would make sense because they're Jedi hunters. And if I guess if they catch wind of Obi-Wan Kenobi still being alive, it would make sense that they would be involved and then probably Vader hears that they're talking about him and is like, leave him to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably actually how I see it would be going down. I think yeah. it would be quite, I mean, well, if, it, if it's true, I can't wait. But whatever happens, we're going to see him holding a lightsaber at some point in the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that must be unreal though for an actor. You walk on yeah. set and they're like, here's your lightsaber. Here's your lightsaber. Jeez, yeah. Yeah, Ugh. unbelievable. Life goals. Anyway, shall we shall we move on to today's topic of the episode? Of course. So we thought we'd have another Mando rewatch 
episode today. So uh, our last one was two weeks ago, I think. And we discussed chapter one of The Mandalorian. And in this episode, we're going to discuss chapter two of The Mandalorian, which we have just rewatched this evening. Yeah, I just uh, literally rewatched it just before recording this after I got in from work. It's it's funny going back and rewatching things sometimes because in the top in the back of my mind I had like what was happening in this episode, but then because obviously I've seen it all before, I was like adding in things that are in next week's episode. Oh, not next week, but like the next episode. So then when it finished, I was like, oh, that, oh, that hasn't happened yet. I was like, oh, that doesn't happen until next episode. You know that sort of stuff, which is one of the one of the uh, annoying things about rewatches, but or rewatching one episode at a time, I suppose. But no, nah, I, re- I mean. A good episode. I think it led on nicely from episode one or chapter one. It, I think, in this episode they really did well to explore new features and new the new character that they just they just revealed in the episode previous. Um, so I think I remember watching it and being for the first time and being deeply engrossed and and fascinated by what was happening around me. And this time going in. You know, I was just sitting there, like I said last week, just trying to focus on the finer details that, you know, make the world seem a whole lot richer. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I remember like, when I watched this episode the first time around, we're talking about chapter two, The Child was the name of the episode. Um, when I watched this episode the first time around, I really, really liked it. I thought it was like one of those like sort of like side mission episodes, but like a really, really, really good one and like a really fun sort of wacky example of like, a character going off and having to do something to progress the story, but like a good example of it. And I know there's some sort of some episodes where people criticize it a little bit, but um, this is an episode that I think is actually really, really good. And um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching it. I think it's one of those sort of episodes where it explores something in Star Wars that we haven't really seen done before in this case being sort of Jawa culture. Um, and yeah, I don't really, I didn't really have any complaints about it, to be honest. Um, I've just, I've, I've got the the details here in front of me. We'll just, we'll, we'll just run over. Um, it was released on the 15th of November, 2019 in America. And then some point in March over here in the UK, it was again written by John Favreau and it was directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who directed two episodes this season. He's a, he's a really interesting filmmaker. And I think he's, was he, did he do an episode in season two? He might have done. I can't quite remember. Anyway, if, if if you're needing your memory jog, this was the episode where after Mando has just collected Baby Yoda, Grogu, the child, um, he returns to the Razor Crest to find out that Jawas has stolen everything, and him and him and Quill set off on a mission to retrieve all his ship parts off of the Jawas so that he can take his bounty back to Navarro. And that's pretty much the concept of the episode. It's quite a short episode. It's only about 30 minutes. Um, but I think it's really funny. Some great actions and like really like good character development um, and some really sort of like cool and interesting sort of additions to the, to the Star Wars canon and the Star Wars lore and this episode. And yeah, it was, I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching it. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like, again, it's one of those episodes that where it wasn't, action packed like it had good action when it was the action was there like it was it was riveting and um engaging um and as you said it did add quite a bit to some interesting points of the star wars lore especially like around 
like trial culture, which I think is really interesting and funny. Like they are a bunch of characters that, you know, since seeing them in a, in a new uh, hope, I think people have got, you know, it piques their interest when you have characters like that, that you're not quite sure about. And then when you find out a bit more at a time, it's, you know, it gives you a bit of hunger for more information. So I think that's, that's nice that they included some more bits in this episode for that. Um, I also, it just, there was such such subtle things when you go back and rewatch it or like when you watch it for the first time, I suppose, that really helped to like build the suspense and like the, the tease for things to come. Like just for an example, it's like when the two Trandoshans just like show up and like try and kill uh, poor little Grogu, you know, and like the camera just pans over to like the tracking beacon that's still going off and it's just like, oh, okay, we still got this going. Yeah. You know, this is still like an active threat that needs to be dealt with alongside whatever Mando's trying to do in this episode. So yeah. I think that, that helps to like build the tension, you know, as as you said, he's kind of doing like a bit more of a side project to go and, you know, get his stuff back from the jowls and stuff. But then that little bit wasn't even really ne- needed in this episode, but it was there to like help keep the audience aware that like, you know, Mando's still on like a time limit or like, you know, he's still got to hopefully try and get Grogu back safely as possible to secure his bounty. So I think that was a good addition. Nice I think, addition. Yeah, I think it was sort of served as one of those like classic, like <clears throat> sort of in like fantasy stories when like some when a quest sort of goes well, there's often like a complaint of like, oh that was too easy. And I guess that sort of last week last week, <laughs> last episode, you can't really sort of say that it went too easily because they got attacked by like an army of Nictos and him and IG had to sort of fight their way out of a sort of pretty muddy situation, but <clears throat> he got his bounty. Everything went well. And sort of this episode throws a, like a spanner in the works of like, it's not just going to be as simple as him just getting in a plane and taking it back. You know, he has to overcome another challenge. Um, before he can do that. And then obviously this episode introduces the concept of um, baby Yoda, the child being force sensitive um, with the big reveal at the end of the episode, when it picks up the mud horn with the force. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a really important episode within the, <clears throat> within the wider story of season one. And um, it's just, it, I just found it so much fun. Like I was just like smiling the whole way through watching it just from like, from that little fight sequence at the beginning to him getting electrocuted off the top of the the walker, the sand crawler, to like them negotiating with the Jawas. The whole episode just like had had me bump beaming with smiles. It's just so much like fun Star Warsness. It was really great. Mm. One of the things I noticed as well in this episode is is like how much we get even early on in these episodes of like Amanda's like personality coming through. Like there was a couple of lines he like delivers, um, which I think just really like show off his like his personality as the character like so well. Like with a character who like we haven't even seen his face yet. And, like, one of the yeah, yeah one of the examples that came to mind or when I was watching it was um when he gets to the Jawa camp to like negotiate to get his stuff back, and the Argonauts uh, like um you know they put your blaster down. And like Mando delivers like the most dry line of like I'm a Mandalorian, weapons are part of my religion. And it's just like the most dry like uh, reply ever, just to show how like annoyed and like frustrated he is. And, like the most sarcastic, <laughs> dry reply. Yeah. And it's just like, yep. Knowing and then knowing what his character like 
is like when we get to see more of it further down the line I think that beautifully is like a nice little nice little touch to like give the audience a bit of what we expect more to a bit of what we're going to see further down the line in terms of like his character and uh, personality and stuff yeah definitely I think this episode did do quite a lot of sort of heavy lifting in terms of character work both for the Mandalorian for Baby Yoda for Quill as well um and I think in that sense like um, I don't even remember whether this was an episode where people was like, oh, this is a side mission, this is filler. I, I feel like it wasn't. I feel like this was a universally appreciated episode, which good, it should be. But you sort of see some of these criticisms pop up in like other Star Wars shows. And for me, this is like a perfect example of a brilliant episode where it's like, he's on his way to the next sort of big thing, which is delivering the bounty, but something gets in the way. And to solve that thing that gets in the way, you know, the characters put for a struggle in which we learn more about him and more about sort of the other characters in the surrounding worlds. So I think this is when I think, when I think of like season one of like some of my favorite episodes, this one always like sticks in my head of like, I could just stick this episode on, you know, on a, on a rainy day and just watch it and be thoroughly entertained and just enjoy the wacky adventures of, of Dinjar and the Mandalorian and his little new his little new baby that he's got. Um so do you want to do you want to dive into to some of our, our favorite moments from the episode? I'll um I'll pass on to you first. Any any sort of favorite moments of action, comedy, that sort of thing? Uh I mean there's so many to go for. I think I think one of my favorite like comedian lines is is the one I just mentioned because just the delivery of that from Pas- Pedro Pascal is just Oh, like fantastic! Like it's my sense of humor like, down to a T. Just the dryness of that line is just fantastic for me. Um, I think just I I, I don't know if I've really just mentioned it, but like his dialogue throughout the whole thing is just like it's so good. And like there's so many little things that once you have actually watched the whole um, two seasons, I think it's uh, I just it's like funny and just like brilliant. Like there's a line at the end where he offers. Uh, Killy, uh, Quill. God, I can never get his name at Quill. He offers him Quill, I think. So. Quill, yeah. yeah he, he's like, I'll pay you handsomely, um, to be like his, his, um, like, I don't know, like quartermaster. I don't Repair know. guy. Yeah, like his, <laughs> his part, partner on the ship, I suppose. And, you know, it's just like, well, we just learned in the episode before that you're like, you're struggling for cash and you're just offering to pay him handsomely. So I don't don't lie to the poor man. <laughs> yeah, he's probably he's probably just got in his head. He's just like, oh, when I deliver this bounty, I'm going to be rich. Um, but yeah, there's definitely sort of like a lot of stuff going on where you can just in like the delivery of lines and the way that he even like looks at the child in this episode, you can definitely start to see some of those sort of like thoughts in his head of like, can I really give this little innocent thing up to a potentially dangerous? definitely dangerous figure um mm. and i think yeah as you were saying a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the performance from from pedro Pascal and whoever is sort of stunt double is on a day-to-day basis there is a name and i'm sorry to the the really talented guy who does it <clears throat> um so yeah no i agree <clears throat> some of that that performance is is really really good in this episode yeah i mean there's another like great for like foreshadowing points, I think in this episode as well. Like one that springs to mind is just after Mando's fight with the Trandoshans, and he's like sitting there, you know, like uh, fusing his wound back together with like a 
little blow torch or like a welding sort of gadget he's he's got there he was fixing his armor with but he's decided to use it on his arm to help seal the wound and then little grogu's like desperately trying to come over and like touch it and like i remember watching it at the time and just being like oh he just wants to like you know like hold his hand or something and like make him make mando feel better just by being near him but then obviously watching the um the whole two seasons you, you're probably realizing that poor grogu is probably trying to make his way over to like heal him and it's like at the time it was cute and then going back and rewatching it it adds even more like impact and like character development to the to that scene yeah yeah definitely because um he does it in i think it's episode seven when he heals um grief cargo's arm mm. um so yeah there's definitely lots of foreshadowing going on yeah and i mean obviously the uh the big reveal like near the end of the episode that Grogu is is a force sensitive child I think I think that's probably why um there was no well I don't remember as you said like anyone being like this is a filler episode all that crap is just because like no matter how good an episode is you're going to get people like that but I think the reason that we didn't see much of it was just because like the internet was just like blown away that their um like speculation of Grogu being force sensitive was correct you know, you, you see the little Yoda-looking baby at the end of episode one. I think I remember, like, Twitter at the time, everyone was like, oh, my God, like, is baby Yoda, like, he's force, is he going to be force-sensitive? Like, is he going to be, gonna a, be Jedi? a Jedi? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, obviously the end of episode two, that's confirmed, and I think everyone was just, like, losing their minds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of my other favourite moments in the episode was, you just sort of briefly mentioned it, but the, the fight scene at the beginning with the Trandoshans. I thought that bit was so cool, like, the sort of the opening shot of like Mando sort of walking through like this sort of desert canyon with like the the child pod little cradle thing sort of floating alongside him and sort of like the proper the western music and like the western motifs and everything <clears throat> and then him getting ambushed by the Transoceans and that little fight scene I think is awesome because I mean I love, I go on about Bosque and Trandoshans all the time. I think they're awesome. So just like them being in the episode for a first is just like, oh my God, it's an alien I like. But they've got their big sort of like vibro axes and they're trying to kill him and he's just too skilled for them. And <laughs> I just love the the shot of like the Trandoshan running to kill Grogu and, and him just fully disintegrating them with his <laughs> with his rifle. Um, I really do like that scene. That's one of my, sort of one of my favourite action moments of of this episode. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Is that like the first time we get to see just how much damage that rifle actually does? Yeah, I think that's I think the first so. time he disintegrates anyone. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think obviously prods the giant walrus with it in episode one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's the first time he gets seen like disintegrate anyone. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> just seeing it happen to a Trandoshan as well. We're typically known for being pretty tough to kill. He's like, damn, these these weapons are strong. <laughs> yeah. Which then I feel bad later in the episode when he starts taking out Jawas with it. I'm like, Christ alive. Man. Oh my god. They're like yeah. three foot and it just disintegrated these boys. Like I think, oh, give me give my yeah, Watching him disintegrate Jawas was painful, but the the bit that got me was when he was like throwing Jawas off the top of the sand crawler. <laughs> Like there was one that like poked its little head out the window and he just grabbed it by the hood and yeeted it out the window. And then there was the one like sort of when the Jawas thought that they had knocked him off 
And then there was that one Jower like standing on top, really proud. And then he just pokes his head over the top and lobs him off the edge as well. Those poor Jowers, man. They're just trying to make a living. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was savage. Just like, I feel like if he just fired a couple shots at them that had missed as well, or like just like some warning shots, those Jowers would have gone running anyway, because that's just what Jowers are like. But he was like, no, I'm going in for the kill here. These boys are stealing from my <laughs> ship. They must die. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that whole bit with him chasing the sand crawler and climbing up and having them just like lobbing parts at him. Like, I'm pretty sure one of the Jawa dropped like what looked like a used radiator on his head. Like, it literally you <laughs> looked like the guy in the prop department was like, oh, I've got a spare radiator. Should we just drop that on Mando's head? <laughs> there was just all sorts of stuff they were just chucking at him. And yeah, that whole scene was so cool. And I just, like, as sort of like strong and intimidating a character as the Mando is like seeing him getting bested by a bunch of Jawas is just so funny. Like when they obviously stun him and he falls and just sort of lands flat on his back. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, it, I find it so entertaining. I think it's like one of those good examples of hero characters sort of meeting their match in like not something which is bigger and stronger for them, but just like a load of smaller things like working together as a team. Like, I'm trying to think of another example, but there, there are, it is a common thing in sort of action adventure and stuff like that, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but it's like, he he can easily take out a Jow on his own, but when there's like 30 of them all against him at once, doesn't matter how strong he is, he's going to get messed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, bless me, he put up a good effort. The, the, the determination was there. Uh, he, uh, he wasn't taking no for an answer. But I tell you what I liked about that scene was when he's just like on the sand crawler, and just like it cuts to like a shot of just like Grogu, just like in his little pod, just like racing behind. Yeah, when like, like the turbo boost got on the cradle there, <laughs> tearing yeah. them. Yeah, he's having the time of his life, just actually tearing it down the, the desert. That's like, that me up. They should have they should have edited it so his hands were up in the air like he was on a roller coaster, just like speeding. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been great, actually. And then the bit at the end when he was like lying on the floor, like unconscious, and like, Baby Yoda was just looking at him, just like I don't really know what to do at this point. <laughs> yeah, so that's that was one of my one of one of the really good scenes. I think one of the for comedy moments that I found particularly funny, um, Baby Yoda or Grogu or the child. He was technically Baby Yoda at this point. Him eating the frog. I know it's such a small moment. But when he eats the frog, <laughs> when they're back at Quill's sort of ranch, that bit really made me laugh. And like the little burp and the two of them just looking at him like, God, this guy's just eating an entire frog alive. <laughs> and then <laughs> a really funny like little guy. Out. <laughs> out. Yeah, but it's like a it's a funny moment, but like as you know, as you said with that line of dialogue, like it's a dad thing to do, isn't it? Like him you clearly see that he's starting starting to care for the child already because he's like telling him to spit it out. Like if he didn't care, he would have just ignored that happening. But you know, it's a it's a joke, obviously. It's good comedy, but at the same time it like clearly you're seeing a character who's starting to like have affection towards this baby. Um so yeah, that that I I found that bit really funny. Yeah, it's a that's a good scene. I mean, I think that's one of the things about Star Wars, isn't it? Is which I think Dave and John, uh, you know, all the writers and stuff have got is that you know it's a it's a serious program at times. You know, it's you know it's action, it's adventure, adventure. But they, I feel like they've always done well with like just just a few comedy lines here and there. I mean, it's always there in the original trilogy. 
yeah you know, it was always meant to be cause some yeah. cheesy comedy even in the originals yeah yeah so they got that going with, yeah. uh, with mando yeah exactly never lose it um i think one of the sort of one of my other favorite scenes i imagine it's probably one of your favorite scenes is sort of the obvious one but the, the mud horn fight um just the whole thing of just him getting absolutely beaten by this mud horn and then obviously as we were just talking about the sort of big reveal at the end when Yoda, uh, baby Yoda uses the force and um, I just thought it was pretty pretty awesome action scene I imagine you agree oh yeah of course I mean uh, the shot I, th- I really like the shot where obviously he's just like the eyes just opened on the uh, mud horn and then it like cuts back out to the entrance of the cave and all you can hear is just like the blaster shots and then Mando just comes up flying out <laughs> like his chest just like yeah. broken into pieces and you're like oh Christ like what else is going to be coming out of here <laughs> Grogu's just watching him <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean he gets to chip in at him doesn't he poor Mando yeah uh, like that that model's tough um like there's the the bit when he sort of just like hits it with a flamethrower straight to the face and then it sort of just rolls over and wallops him <laughs> with his horn. <laughs> yeah, and then then he like um, grapples to it, doesn't he? Like gets his grappling hook on it, which I think was just a terrible move. I don't know, get what he was going for there. Stupid idea, really. Yeah, and then he's just like dragged about, doesn't he? Like a bit of a lemon. And he's trying to like stop it from running around by digging his feet into the floor. It's like, I don't think you're going to win this one, buddy. I'll give just- credit with credit due, but no. I just find the whole setting of this scene so funny is that he's doing all of this to get an egg for some Jawas. Like, obviously, know the context is that he's trying to get the parts back for his ship and his ship is not just personal and special to him, but he literally needs it to get his bounty done and all that sort of thing. Um, But it's just the fact that he's doing this massive fight against this sort of unkillable beast, basically, just to get an egg for a bunch of little alien feathers. It's so, like, wacky and, and weird but like so Star Wars at the same time. I think this for me, this is when like these sort of like serialized shows like really get Star Wars is when they embrace like the weird and the wacky, but also when it means something. Cause I think if you just take a new hope, there's so much like weird and wacky stuff, particularly when they're on Tatooine at the beginning of the beginning of the film, but it's also important to the story and the the themes of Star Wars. And I think when, you know, when these, like when the Mandalorian really stands out, I think it's when it has these sort of really bizarre and over the top concepts, but it's really fitting these sort of like greater themes of, um, you know, here, this is really a moment of him sort of like accepting that he's going to have to help people for them to help him and not having not being this like selfish bounty hunter that he's so used to being and him being willing to go like get literally the shit beaten out of him for the sake of an egg. <laughs> I just, I think it's genius. I really, really like it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just, I just have to assume as well is that, that he really, I think at the start of that, when he went to go into the cave and like to find the egg was putting in absolutely no effort. Because it was just like, oh, this is a thing the Jar wants something to do. Like, if the Jar wants want the egg, how hard can an egg be to get? And then it's only when obviously he gets sent flying out of the cave, he's just like, oh shit, like this is actually like <laughs> serious, and I need to like get have my A game on. But at that point, you know, it's sort of like too late, and he's and he's he was like, I probably should have prepared a bit better at that point. I think. Yeah, exactly, and and I think 
I mean, one one of the other sort of moments just after this that I find still really, really funny, even after a few rewatches of this episode, is when the Jawa gets the egg and they're like, Suga, Suga, and they cut it open and they're all just drinking the yolk. It's just so ridiculous. But I think it really you like you learn quite a lot about like Jawa culture just from the fact that they like this egg is clearly some sort of like religious or like symbolic I don't even know what the word is. Like it's almost like it's like special idol. But then they eat it as well. It's like some like ceremony, ceremonious like foods that they eat. And I, I almost feel like they all get like Jawa superpowers after eating all this yolk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I was watching the episode and obviously they talked about the egg, I was trying to remember, like, it, honestly, I completely forgot what they did with it afterwards. So I was like, is it just like really valuable? I was like, I can't remember. And then they cut it open. And they I was just like, eat oh, it. <laughs> yeah, they, they just ate it. Because you, know, you sort of think it. that, don't you? Like the first time you watch this, you're like, yeah, it's like, oh, so this is like some special egg that they're going to like, put in a shrine it's like no they're just gonna cut it open and they're all gonna eat it so gas yeah i mean especially as well it's like one is this like a regular thing they do is it like do they get people to trade with them by trying to kill like this unstoppable beast or like do they, do they then gang up themselves and like they send in like a group of like eight of them with, with some blasters like or is yeah? <laughs> is there, like how do they how do they acquire this egg without the help of like some tough Mandalorian or yeah. whatever? These are important questions. Is this the first time these Jawas have ever eaten the suka, or is this like the, the, the third time this month that they've got some bounty hunter to get it for them? <laughs> um, so, questions they answering. Yeah, exactly. I think we need like a an entire sort of like spin-off comic book series just about Jawas hunting for the Suga. <laughs> I'd read that. Um, I think the only sort of thing, other thing I wanted to bring up before we sort of dive into our sort of segments about characters and stuff is, I mean, I know it's sort of just standard to say at this point, but the mu- I just the music in this episode is just so good. Like I really love sort of like the theme that they had for the, for like the, anything that involved the Jawas like the, the music that um, Ludwig Göransson did for that, I thought was sort of like that really like playful, um, but also fitted in with sort of like the, the sort of the Western style themes of the, of the episode. But then there were just sort of like some moments when obviously like the classic Mandalorian theme kicks in sort of like when they finish the Razor Crest and he heads away and sort of at the beginning of the episode when he's like wandering across the desert, it's just this TV show is like some of the best music scoring I think I've seen in any TV show full stop. It's just such effective music. And, you know, I know we're probably going to say it after every single one of these episodes that we rewatch, but yeah, the music just needs a special shout out because it's so good. Yeah. I mean, the, I completely agree. The music in this is, is so good. I mean, obviously you got that, that opening, which uh, we talked about on episode one, which is, it's always a banger. And then, yeah, just, I mean, I think it's so good after, um, it must have been John Favreau, I think, on one of the documentaries. I think it was the one about Luke mentioned that in that the last episode of season two was like the first time they put any music from the original trilogy in. So then when you go back, or from, my, from my point of view, like when I've gone back and like watched these first episodes, like you just realise that like you're enjoying this music so much and it's like completely like original music because... You know, you watch Star Wars and you enjoy Star Wars stuff like Rebels and Clone Wars, and, but then so much of the music you 
hear in the those things is stuff from like the original trilogy or stuff from like previous Star Wars um, projects. So I think to have music in The Mandalorian that is literally like so good and like it fits so well into what they've written into that their scenes and things. It's, I'll really take my hat off to um, Mr. Ludwig. Well, yeah. he is a, he's a talented man. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's, it's a good point you make because it is those sort of like classic bits of music from the original trilogy that you hear and it like instantly triggers like an emotion. And we talked about it in the recent episode quite extensively, but it's almost got to the point now where like when I'm rewatching Mandalorian, the Mandalorian's own music, which has only existed since like 2019, 2020, has now sort of like become so classic that every time you hear those themes kicking in again, you're just like, oh, like this is the Mandalorian music now instead of saying, oh, this is like original trilogy music. Like, the Mandalorian theme is just like such an iconic piece of music already. And it's literally only been playing in our ears for like less than two years. Um, yeah, I completely agree. So do you want to, do you want to jump on to talking about characters? Um, if, if you, if you listen to our last episode, we, we sort of broke down the way that we were going to talk about these episodes by sort of, talking about favourite moments, overall feelings, the episode which we've just done, and then talking about standout characters and favourite background characters. So we'll, uh, we'll jump on to that. John, do you want to kick us off with your with your standout character of the episode? Yeah, of course. I feel like, I mean, there wasn't many characters in this episode, so I feel like the one I've chosen is quite an obvious one. But I've gone with uh, Baby Yoda, a.k.a. Grogu, which I just think, obviously, we barely saw him in the end of the of episode one it was literally like a passing shot and then that was it so I think in this episode they did a really good job of just like throwing like all the re- relevant information we needed I think like out at us in this episode and I think Grogu himself was just I think they could have gone down the road of just keeping him again like a few fleeting shots or like he couldn't didn't have to do much from this episode and it could have built up and built up and built up to like a big reveal later on in the season <clears throat> but I feel like you know he really came into his own I think <laughs> being like a, a puppet that doesn't talk very much but I feel like he did he came into his own quite a lot in this episode so obviously got the big reveal that he's force sensitive well then I feel like you get aspects of his personality coming through quite quickly on the episode as I mentioned earlier he obviously after Mando's fight the Trandoshans you know the first thing he wants to do when he sees Mando's injured is to like go over and healing with like his force abilities you know then you get the comedic moments as we mentioned again earlier of him like you know chasing the little frogs around and eating the frogs uh, and then you know we get the, the cute little squeals and noises he makes you know, and these are things that throughout the two seasons, like I think we all really come to love and appreciate about Grogu. So I think in this episode, it was really nice to see how much of that they already like were given us, like so early on in the in the season. Um, yeah, so I just I just really enjoyed him. Like he could have been, it could have quite easily been a, like a much more background character in this episode. But I'm really glad that they went full in with it. You know, mm-hmm. we pretty much like man that like, Grogu in season episode too is like Grogu throughout the whole season Obviously, yeah we just added character development yeah I think this is the episode where like he stole everyone's hearts I feel like you know episode one was very much like he appeared very briefly and everyone was like inclined intrigued inclined they were like oh what's this this is interesting big big reveal something we weren't expecting but it's definitely episode two was when like the world fell in love 
with baby Yoda completely. And this was the moment where everyone was like, Oh my God, this thing is so cute. Um, but also has so much like personality of its own, as you were saying. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with you. He's definitely, you know, the second to main character in this episode. And he, he is a big standout. My standout character of the episode is actually Quill. Um, I, I love Quill's character, like from his introduction in episode one, um, sort of into here and then into very sadly his death at the end of the season. I think he's a, a really interesting character. Like, but then I think this episode we really sort of like dived in a little bit sort of deeper, um, particularly sort of like the conversation they have at the end of the episode when Mando offers him a job basically and he says that you know he's worked his whole life to be free from servitude, like to the Empire. Um and like he wants to remain free and that he's just grateful that like Mando has like brought peace to his valley so he can just live in peace with his blurgs and, you know, his little farm. And I think he's just such an interesting character in the sense of like, he sort of just represents like ordinary people in the galaxy. I know he's an ugnaught, um, but you know, he's, he's sort of, to me represents like retired people. He's worked really hard all his life and now he just wants to sit back on his nice farm and just enjoy the precious moments of life. <laughs> and I just think he's just such a cool, interesting character because so much of Star Wars is focused on these like big action figures, these like sort of mythic, heroic characters who we all love, but sort of just seeing these characters who just enjoy the simpler things and are really just people in this like crazy galaxy, I think is so cool. And the way that he's basically, you know, says to Mando, like, now nah, we're not just going to go and kill them like we're just going to negotiate we're going to bargain and we'll get your stuff back i have spoken um I just the way that like mando is such an intimidating and strong character but he just sort of just listens to everything quill tells him because quill has so much sort of like wisdom and gravitas even though he's just sort of like a, a little ugnot. um he really really stood out stood out for me in this episode and yeah that's why he's my standout character for sure i think Great performance. I think it's Nick Nolte is the name of the guy who plays him. Great performance. And um, yeah, a lot, a lot of love, a lot of respect for, for my boy Quill. Yeah, I mean, he is a very interesting character. And as you say, like Mando, Mando is such a, is a character who on the screen, you know, um, like, t- gets a lot of attention. Obviously, he's very intimidating. But yeah, Quill just, yeah. Like the way Mando just sits and listens to him or like he even, you know, like commands the room himself. I think it's very impressive and says a lot about his character. A very interesting line, as you talked about there, like how he's he's lived his whole life in service and doesn't want to, you know, just wants to be a free man. Which I think, again, just you just want to. Ask, there's more questions there that you want to know the answer to, but I don't think we're, we ever will because you know the uh, Argonauts were obviously seen in Empire Strikes Back. Correct. Yeah, they they work on Cloud City. Um, you know, and there's like the whole uh, theme of them being like slaves to the empire sort of thing, working yeah. for, for the empire, um, which, you know, is, is a thing, you know, if you're like a diehard Star Wars fan, but you might not necessarily pick up on if you're more of a casual watcher, um, which I think is nice. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's a very interesting character. Yeah. I'd, I'd argue that we, we deserve a, 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 some story set before this of just you know Quill, quill's life um I'd, I'd love to get more quill obviously you know he's dead now so it's nothing past mandalorian's gonna have quill again but you know i'd like him to 
I imagine Ugnaughts live quite a while. I wouldn't mind a young Quill popping up in the Bad Batch. I know people would be like, oh, it's another stupid cameo, but I'd want it. Or for him to pop up in literally anything or like a book, just an entire 300-page novel just about Quill's life. I want something because he's he's a cool character. And uh, he definitely, as he said, there's a lot of questions about what his life might have been like and what he might have been up to and what his service to the empire and probably slavery for the empire might have looked like and why he is the way he is now. So, yeah, we love Quill. Yeah, I feel like he could, Disney could sell like a, like a, not like an autobiography, like, you know, like a memoirs book, you know, that looks oh, like yeah. it's like, in like an old fashioned like leather book that looks like he's like written it when he's yeah. chilling on his little farm. I think that would that would be quite cool. Yeah, that'd be that'd be sick. Right. I'll I'll get I'll get writing it right now. I'm trying to set, trying to pitch it to Luke's film publishing. <laughs> I mean sure, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Right. So now we can uh, we can jump over to one of my favorite segments of this of these episodes, our favorite background character. Um John, why don't don't you go first? Um, I know we have a little bit of crossover here, but I think we've got enough different to talk about. So um, why don't you get us started with background character, favourite background? Uh, I mean, my favourite background character I gave gave to the collective group of Jawas um, because I feel like they, as a whole, are a character of themselves. (laughs) You know, they're... As you, as we've said, like in this uh, in this podcast um, today, you know, um, that we learn a lot about like Jawa culture and like we got to see how different Jawas like, interact with each other and like how they go about their business. Um, so I think you know they were they were really interested in that. You know, they added some law, some really interesting law to the Star Wars universe. Obviously, when the episode came out, <clears throat> you know, things we didn't know about Jawas that. We didn't necessarily, I suppose, as like even a diehard fans, you know, like you and me, really cared about about what I say. You know, Jawas are never anyone's most favourite or interested characters. Um, but I feel like the stuff they added in this episode was actually really interesting. Like I found it really interesting. And I actually, it made me want to find out more about the Jawas. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely. One, one thing I did notice between these ones is that they have glowing red eyes not glowing red eyes like the Jawas on Tatooine, which I thought is like really interesting. And like, if you got like different planets, is there like Jawas are like yellow eyes, not yellow eyes, like purple eyes, like green eyes or something like what causes this? Like changing yeah, colour. Yeah, and they had, their cloaks were more grey than like the brown of the Tatooine Jawas as well. Yeah. I noticed. Maybe that's because like this desert planet is a slightly less sandy, more rocky sort of um, texture perhaps. Um, but yeah, my my favourite background character, I ended up, you know, similar to John in the sense of Jawa, but I actually picked a specific Jawa. In my head, I don't know if this is fact. I don't know if there's any sort of visual dictionary or Lucasfilm confirmation, which proves me correct. But I've I've called him the Jawa chief because he was the primary negotiator with Mando and Quill when they were sort of sat down on the floor and they were discussing what they could trade to get the ship parts back um, and the reason I picked the Jawa chief <clears throat> was because when Mando starts to speak what sort of some broken Jawa to him th- this guy <laughs> turns back to him and says oh you speak terrible Jawa um, you sound like a Wookiee <laughs> 
which I just, which I thought was a really funny burn that you just don't really expect like the little jowers to come out with like some like killer insult <laughs> against a Mandalorian. But, you know, obviously he just went for it. And then like Mando obviously like nearly tortures him to death. And then he sort of turns around, chats to his boys and is like, oh yeah, the Suka, Suka, like go fetch the egg. Um, I just thought, for me, it was just like, one of, that was one of the lines that really made me crack up. And I was thinking of like, oh, background characters who like, they didn't say much, but like, I'd like to see them again at some point. Like I'd like a story about that Jawa, him being the chief, him trying to like keep this little tribe of Jawas rolling along in their sand crawler and trying to sort of like, you know, individual Jawas having fights with each other and him trying to like moderate the fights and him planning like ways that they're going to swindle various people on this planet out of parts to get eggs and stuff like that. I just, he just was a particularly funny Jawa character. Um, there were a few interesting ones to choose from, you know, a couple of the Jawas who got blobbed off the sand crawler had a little special place in my heart, but this Jawa, I'm calling him the Jawa chief. He might not be the chief, but at least the, the chief negotiator of this Jawa tribe is uh, my favourite background character of this episode. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, if he's if he's brazen enough to to burn Mando with that sick diss, then uh, I'll give him chief status <laughs> to, to come back to a Mandalorian with a... The, the harsh line like that, you know, he's 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 leader of the baguette gang here. He's been prepping a diss track on Mando for a <laughs> He's got some bars he's ready to drop. <laughs> it's definitely because he like he knew Mando like left the two guns on the little uh, trailer and then he was like all oh, oh, big boy. He was like, Oh watch me lads. I'm gonna diss this Mandalorian and then as soon as the flamethrower comes out he's like shit himself. Uh, it's just like just saying that someone speaks your language terribly and then comparing them to Wookiee, you know, and obviously because, you know, to, to characters who wouldn't understand Wookiee, Wookiee's just going to sound like, oh, it's just going to sound like noise. So the fact he's just comparing the way he speaks to what is basically noise, um, that's a pretty sick burn. So big up, big up the Jawa chief. <laughs> well, absolute legend of the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, solo comic series for him, of him just going around burning people. Yeah, exactly. So I think he he deserves his place in the the background character um, hall of fame that we're starting to build here, along with last week's Kowakian monkey lizard. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're starting a little little rose gallery here. Yeah, the background <laughs> But imagine once we've got through all sixteen episodes, imagine what this rogues gallery gallery is going to look like. So far, we've got the the chunky speeder pilot. We've got the quacking monkey lizard and the, the feisty Jawa chief. <laughs> Unbelievable. Ugh, what a team. Um, so right, the, the last little things to talk about of this episode, like we did last week, is a little little look at some of the Easter eggs, some of the, the connections to the, the greater Star Wars lore and something that Star Wars always does so well is ramming it full of Easter eggs. So um, I have a little a little list here of Easter eggs. I guess should we just should we just roll with the same way we rolled with it last time, John? I'll just read them out, and you can rate the Easter eggs out of five stars. Yeah, why not? That's quite fun. Why not? Um, okay, so yeah, Mando is t- attacked by Trandoshans. Um, they're the large lizard-like aliens that most commonly known bounty hunter Bosk is one of them, and they're known for being for being hunters. Uh, three and a half. 
Um, obviously, episode features Jowers, which are the, the little hooded aliens from A New Hope who try and sell R2 and 3PO. Um, and I think, I haven't heard, I, I'm not having double checked this, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time Jowers have been seen off of the planet Tatooine. Uh, I'll give you a four for that. Um, the Jawas say that Mando can't speak Gajawa and sounds more like a Wookiee. Um, the Wookiee language is officially known as Shiri Wook. Oh, I'll give you a four. That's a fun fact. Um, during the scrap with the Mudhorn, um, Baby Yoda uses the Force to lift it up, but the image is quite reminiscent of that of Yoda lifting the X-Wing in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I'll give you a four, a four and a half for that because I thought that at the same time, and that's pretty cool. And Quill talks about a lifetime of servitude. Um, obviously, he's an Ugnaught, and most Ugnaughts ended up in, as Imperial slaves or servants throughout the reign of the Empire. They were first seen in Empire Strikes Back in Cloud City as slaves. Four. And that's it. That's all the Easter eggs I spotted. It was quite an Easter egg-light episode. Um, however, I'm disappointed that there was not a Jawa sand crawler Lego set from this episode. Because I remember, I don't know if I had one or if I had just seen it at the Lego shop, the old sort of like OG sand crawler set from A New Hope Lego set. Um, and I sort of wish they did a re-release of one from this specific episode because that would have been awesome. Oh, yeah, that would have actually been unreal. Then you could you could get a little Luke Speeder alongside it. Yeah, and then you have a, you have Mando hanging off of the edge and then a, a wee suka, a little suka minifigure on the top. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unreal. But yeah, a bit, bit of a lighter episode for Easter eggs, but I know for a fact there's some episodes in the rest of this season that have very heavy Easter eggs, so we can we can jump into them when we eventually get around to rewatching those episodes in this sort of new mini mini series that we've got over here at Live from Vader's Castle. Yeah, I mean that'll be that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to watching future episodes. So uh I'll keep an eye out for the Easter eggs. Yeah. So final thoughts on on on, on this second episode, chapter two, the child, John, you enjoyed it? Yeah, of course. I mean uh I think I enjoyed it just as much as when I watched it for the first time. Um, when I watched it for the first time, obviously you had the you know, you had some big reveals in that of the force sensitive baby odor and the Mando killing a mud horn. Uh and I so that was very exciting. I think I enjoyed it just as much this time. Yeah, definitely. Great little episode. Great little episode. Um, right, so that wraps up our discussion of the Mandalorian rewatch episode two. I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed talking about it and rewatching it. Um, and we will be back next week to talk about something. It'll either be it'll either be our Master and Apprentice book club or visions, depending on whether we get the book finished. <laughs> so it'll be one of the two. Why we'll be talking visions, which is due out next week, or we'll be talking about Master and Apprentice and then Visions the following week. So there's plenty to look forward to on the podcast in the coming weeks. Um, and also next week will be episode 25, which is a, another big milestone. Oh, yeah. 25. Wow. Look at us quarter, go. A quarter of a century. Jeez. Yeah, look at us. I think we deserve medals for consistency. I think we do. I think we, do. I think we, should, we deserve to crack open some nice beers. <laughs> 
I think when we when we get to uh, when we get to fifty, I reckon we deserve a week off just to. <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You've heard it here first. When we get to fifty, we'll, uh, we'll we'll finish season one and then start season two, and then that will give us a week off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, move move on. We're gonna scale up production. Scale take up it, production. Take it international. <laughs> right. Is there anything else you need to add, John? No. I think I think I've, I've expressed my thoughts and feelings on this episode and I very much enjoyed talking about it. Brilliant. So if you've enjoyed this episode as well, don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Live from Vader's Castle, Twitter at Vader's Castle Pod, TikTok at Live from Vader's Castle. Oh, I thought I was on a roll there. Um, subscribe to us on YouTube which is uh, Live from Vader's Console is the name of the YouTube channel um, and yeah message us if you've got any suggestions for future episodes got any questions you want us to answer I think it might be fun at some point in the next sort of month or so to do like an episode where we just try and get like questions from listeners and we could sort of do a little Q&A thing we'll see see how it goes um, so yeah connect with us on any social media if you're enjoying the podcast you can leave reviews on podcasts i didn't even realize that so if you're enjoying it do leave us a review that would be nice for uh, some constructive criticism or some praise either of them it's nice to hear um and i think i've plugged everything i think i've plugged everything yeah i think you've covered it all wonderful stuff right that'll do it for today's episode yeah Sweet. So uh, thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.